With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Monday's Terrace Podcast, a podcast that continues to push the boundaries of reality on a weekly basis. I'm Graham Thillis and we've been through the tough times and the good times are here to stay as long as we only play teams ranked as literally the worst in the world. Uh, today I'm joined by two men more than dra- more than capable of dragging the country out of the doldrums. First of all I have Craig Anderson. Hello Craig. Hello. And second on my list but first in our hearts it's Hartford Tom Watt. Hello. Great. Uh, we'll get to chatting through the wettest game of football since Pele scored a hat-trick against an Atlantis 11 But before we get into that, we'll have a chat through some hotties and naughties. Uh, does somebody want to start us off? Uh, hotties, those people who put pirate clips on Twitter Because there's been some really good banter goals in the last <laughs> Banter football accounts on Twitter The um, Wraith Rovers third goal at the weekend. Very, very good. Very, very, very good. Very, very good stuff. Um, you know, as you pointed out, Craig, a fine day for uh, Welsh officials. Yes. Um, yeah, and it was. I, yeah. I actually, on further inspection, the assistant referee was Scottish. So the the Welshman was the one who made the correct decision. <laughs> the assistant referee was the one who put his flag up and shouldn't have done. Um, you could understand. It was, it was a funny one because you could understand. He thought it was the. He thought it was the attacker. The ref's like, no, it's the defender. Everyone stops except Kieran Bowie. Um, I don't know if it's him. Yeah, yeah. yeah and then yeah. he. Um, Surely in that scenario, it's one of the ones where let play on and then put your flag yeah. up at the end just to. And then confirm with the referee, yeah. not halfway through. You see a lot in the NFL now that they let plays go and then they'll check it and review yeah, afterwards. It's kind, it's kind of like, yeah, like what they do for VAR, except yeah. not actual VAR, just Talking. ask the ref. Yeah, um, yeah, but it was funny. Um, I would have very, very much liked it to have been a crucial goal rather than just the kind of icing on the cake type goal. And and the referee was Bryn Markham Jones, which is as Welsh a name as you're ever going to find. And there's that, and, and um, 
also obviously as we'll touch on later on uh, Aldo Simoncini sorry uh, his uh, his um, handling outside the box for <laughs> Stuart Armstrong's goal which is just it was so perfect in so many ways because he'd actually been he'd actually had a very very decent game um, handles the ball outside the area because he thinks a free kick's been given probably should have been given and it results in a goal so. I was very, just very confused too. I know. I mean, okay. Well, we would just not talk about it when we talk about the Scotland game. We'll talk about it now. It was, it was very confused as to what was happening because um, the Shanklin. So I was at, I was making my dinner at the same time. I was watching. This is not going to help. Was interested by this point, but um, I was. I could be watching through the door while I was chopping some onions or whatever it was I was doing, and I saw Shanklin getting put down in the centre circle, and it should have been a foul, and then the ref didn't give it, and I was like, oh, that's a bit weird. The ball went back and they cut away to show you a replay of it. And then all of a sudden the ref was pointing and I thought, oh, obviously like the fourth officials maybe had a word in his ear and said like that was a foul. And then all of a sudden you see Scott will line up to take a free kick on the edge of the box. What's happened there? Um, and yeah, it was um, certainly, yeah, yeah, as you say, a weekend for the banter. Banter. Uh, I'll dive in with a naughty, um, which is uh, Scotland's rugby team and legal team. Um, as they'll no longer be suing Rain um, for getting put out of a World Cup because they just got put out of a World Cup by being shit at rugby, as it would turn out, which has been really good in a number of ways and also really sad for me in a number of ways as I thought I knew a bunch of rugby people. As it turns out, I don't. So if anyone would like to be added to a group chat which is just me talking shit about rugby and winding up rugby people then please join my WhatsApp group because I'm really sad. I just don't know any rugby people and it feels like a great opportunity to just absolutely pile in. And the idea that they were going to sue the rain and then because Japan's an incredible country, the game just went on anyway with a completely full stadium despite the fact that outside the floodplains were still metres deep, but that's fine because the trains still run. Um, and then getting an absolute shooing off a country. Just, and, you can just sue Japan for being too good at rugby. Yeah, sue <laughs> so, so, so the Japanese team uh, instead because they're just be- a team that's been playing rugby for relatively about 20 minutes um, at a professional level and just get an absolute shooing off them. You have, to, you have to take into account that the Japan team is full of like Australians and South Africans. Unlike the Scotland team, who's full of English, Australians, <laughs> and South Africans, so um, the truly global sport. Excellent. Um, I, I, I would like to say though, I think it's been a very good week for rugby because in this country, it's ended any kind of argument you ever have with any rugby fan ever over like, oh, the players throw themselves around in the grounds, or like, you know, you wouldn't get talking back to the referee. It's like the rain, mate. Yeah, you tried to sue the, the rain. rain. You tried to sue the rain for the rain. rain. Brilliant. Very happy about that. I go for a hottie, uh, which is the planet. Um, so um, <laughs> look after it, people. Um, climate change is real, and uh, maybe just just recycle a bit more, bit less meat if you can. Just just do good things if you can. Try your best. One less car journey if you can manage it. Jump on the train; it's, it's always good. You can have a couple of cans as well. Can someone do us a, a terrace logo with Extinction Rebellion for the ER <laughs> in the middle of it there as well? Um, excellent. Um, I've got a, I've got another hottie, um, which is Prague's police force. So not only handing out shoeings on the pitch, uh, the the brave boys of Prague also chased ten German bombers out of town, which was uh, thoroughly enjoyable as well. Mm. So things that we like to see. Um, England fans taking a shoe in and England taking a shoe in. This is my 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 entire podcast is just shut in front at this point. They, they, they get battled everywhere they go. They get battled everywhere they go. Yeah, I mean that was that was a, 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 a absolutely wonderful Friday night, Sunday morning, or 
get battled everywhere we go to the, literally about six hours later of getting battered off police. I mean, and it does, there's something additional, like it's, it's, it's good seeing a hardline police task force <laughs> when England are very good and professional and win and you just think, God, like your fans are just fucking idiots. You won or like show a bit of humility, whatever. But it's a hundred times better when they lose. <laughs> it's a hundred times better when they get a shoot. And they've got, they've got reason to be a little bit erect. Obviously, they take it too far, but they get a shoot up the police for being dicks as well. Absolutely wonderful scenes. Things we like to see. Um, Naughties. Uh, anyone who's... Uh, we'll probably touch on this. Uh, anyone online who said it's only San Marino, but then went on to say why it didn't really matter. Because it did. Yeah. Of course it matters. Mm. Everything matters, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, we got cuffed off Kazakhstan. We got like it. It does matter. Like it, it may matter a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit. And the fact that we won six rather than five. But these are like we're rubbish. We've been rubbish for a wee while. Anything you can cling on to, like when when you say it, it, it was only San Marino. Yeah, it was only San Marino. So it does matter. It still does matter. Like it's like saying you know, it doesn't matter that we whoever we put out in the first round of the cup on the way to winning it. I'm not suggesting we're going to win it. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, it, does, it's, it, it, it does It does. matter, goddammit. If you get knocked out by the first part-time mob you face, then you don't get to play um, big teams in Eastern European cities. Um, so that's... Quite. Don't go overwhelmed with positivity. Just, like... Yeah. But don't also pretend that, oh, God, a stupid match didn't even matter. But then point out the various reasons why it does. Um, I'll go for one more naughty, which yeah. is all the Diddy League teams in the um, Turnock's Caramel Wafer Challenge Yay. Cup. Cheerio. <laughs> <laughs> Cheerio Cheerio Waterford. Cheerio Connors Key Fucking Nomads. <laughs> and that was all right. That's fine. Cheerio. Um, I was trying to think if I'd forgotten someone, but not yet. Airdrie? Cheerio now, even though there are two English lower league teams um, left, including um, including one as well, some from the English lower leagues, um, at least they've got fans in that. So you're going to have nice games, uh, even you know, even if it is like Rex. I would love uh, Rexham v Solihull Moors final. There you go. <laughs> hosted, solid, <laughs> hosted, hosted Anfield. Yeah, yeah. Like, I have no idea. Surely it's still getting still getting the ball. Rexham v Rexham v Solihull Moors in. Because if you can play there, you can play anywhere. Absolutely fine. I've got a naughty who is, uh, once again, an update on Andrew Ross. So following on from him being a hottie last week, he's a naughty this week. The British Virgin Islands have gone down 4 nothing to the Bahamas and 4-3 in the grudge match against Bonaire. I also don't know if that's a grudge match, but I'm just going to continue to refer to it as a grudge match. Uh, they have one chance to redeem, redeem themselves in the final match of the CONCACAF Nations League with a, a final fixture against the Bahamas, but after a 4 nothing shooing, they may be struggling, I think. So, bad news for British Virgin Island football fans. Anyway, moving on to something vaguely more relevant. Uh, Scotland 6, San Marino 0, uh, where we saw John McGinn's hat-trick. Uh, a goal from uh, Dundee United from the Championships, Lauren Shankland. Uh, Stuart Finley's first international goal and a beauty from Stuart Armstrong as well. So, have we learned anything at all? Following on from what you said, Tom, what, what have we learned? How, what have we learned anything, and what is it? I think there's there's like a there's a tiny tiny bit of 
positivity and don't get like nobody should get carried away with it but it's the biggest I mean it's the biggest victory at Hamden we've had since the mid-70s um a Scotland player scored a hat-trick and a, a midfield player at that who there's been some question marks as to what, what Scotland's best midfield is and yeah we're playing the absolute worst team in the world bar none but to, to be fair, I think, uh, just, just touching on it, I think San Marino would probably beat the British Virgin Islands. I think there's a decent chance, yeah. I think we're a decent game, yeah. I think, I think that's the problem with the, the FIFA rankings, is if, if San Marino are just constantly playing like Italy and Spain and <laughs> beat all the time, of course they're going to get no points, Scotland, but they, yeah, they never yeah. get the chance to play the absolute worst. And this is why there needs to be some sort of subsidised FIFA Global Super League where... Where would you send the San Marino send, team to play in CONCACAF? Yeah. Yeah. I was... Uh, I was cause I don't know if this works with your green stance. So <laughs> no, 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 San Marino they, are going to go to... They need to take Kira them. They go by boat. <laughs> and I didn't work well for Wraith Rovers yeah. so much, so that's a great idea. The 1930 World Cup when uh, nobody turned up from Europe because uh, you had to get the boat to yeah. the Uruguay um, <laughs> for it. It's quite... Yeah, but sorry to continue no, your but point. I, I think there's it, it after a lot of rough results where we got hammered there there was there in a game where there was nothing really to lose it was a bigger victory than we might have expected in, in there's been times in those games that we've, we've never lost one quite that, like that but there've been games that have been um, that we should have won or should have won more comfortably you know we, we've beaten literally earlier on this group exactly, against San Marino away we, we, it was when we, we looked all over the place we had Mark McNulty playing at centre forward yeah uh, and I think considering uh, all things considered it, that was uh, an above par performance against a very very bad side now is there anything we've learned is there anyone I think there, there are things that we've learned that we can take forward. I think um, Ryan Christie and, and John McGinn in particular have to be part of any strongest eleven, and there were some question marks about them. Again, caveats about the, the opposition, but they were brilliant thing, thing, and looked so much better Christie's than anyone else. First touch. It yeah. doesn't matter if you're playing San Marino yeah. or Brazil, your first touch is that good. It was the first 10 minutes. He, he was popping up on the left and he's popping up on the right. And again... Before everything we say here is caveat with the fact that it's against San Marino, but it doesn't particularly matter things like this. But the way Christie was taking the ball down and moving it around, like you're just watching, like you're really good at football. You're really yeah. a pleasure to watch playing football and pinging passes out to him. As you say, whether it's against San Marino, whether it's against whoever it is, that level of confidence that he has just now and the ability that he has has got to be a positive. And it's it, it really. I thought he really stood out in that game in a game which gradually got slower and slower mm. as it went on throughout the 90 minutes through the conditions more than anything I else. Wonder, I wonder if he's like ever hit that many corners in his yeah. life. <laughs> <laughs> I would say corner for Scotland, corner for Scotland. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, and on top of that as well, I think um, for, for um, Palmer, I think even across the two games, you've probably seen that, because I, I thought it was interesting because he started against um, Russia, Russia. And he didn't do anything particularly wrong. And I was like, well, he's probably... He just seemed a bit more solid than O'Donnell defensively. Um, and then I thought, I wonder, it'd be interesting to see... Because O'Donnell is definitely a very good attacking player. Will O'Donnell kind of get the nod again for the home game? But he, he stuck with Palmer. And I thought Palmer did enough going forward to make you think, well, he's he's got something that's worth he, he, he seemed with. to spend the entirety of the first half on the edge of the San Maranese box. Which, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. relatively so. But and yeah, he, I agree with that. And he was on the dry side of the pitch yeah, in the yeah. second <laughs> half. So he could <laughs> actually, <laughs> run. actually run. Um, it 
we almost took like five minutes to realise, no, we can't keep playing on this. <laughs> we need to get over there. And then we, we started kind of attacking down our right and doing a bit. But it, was, it was good as well because I, th- I, I wondered whether the Scotland management team realised like, if we play down there, there's a chance the referee might notice at which point we might have to come back tomorrow to do this. And no, like <laughs> nobody wants this. Nobody wants to come back to play 25 minutes of Scotland v San, San Marino. When you're already 5-0 up. When you're 5-0 up. I kind of wanted to see it. <laughs> 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 right, you got 25 minutes, go! Well, the thing is, you don't, you don't even need to pick the same players, so he could have uh, given the Rest entire... Rest and someone rotate. <laughs> Just see who could, who could we... I mean, given that we called up Lewis Morgan about three hours before the game, who can we call up before tomorrow? <laughs> you could put on. Just, just go for it. Like, who, who have we got left that's uh, within, a, within a commutable distance to where we are? In order to to play this game tomorrow, yeah, I, I can see that. I can, I can I now can see the enjoyment possible. Yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm glad you you draw a line under it and move on. But I, I think if there's one word you can sum it up with, it's, it's confidence. And you said confidence. I, I, I think if we if we go through like the things that the sort of tangible things that you've you want in an international team, like I think everyone is in agreement that we've got a good manager. I think everyone is in agreement that we've got better players than we have had in a very long time so the problem is something else and one of those things may be confidence and scalping a bunch of minnows can't hurt that so continue to just scalp people and again as you, as you said with, with Palmer Finlay has done himself you would imagine no harm at all I mean, it's not like he's an unknown quantity to Clark as it is but again was towering in the box at just about every like as you said we had about 400 corners and Finlay was just well, about got a goal and an assist. So mm-hmm. exactly on that as well. What do we think of Shankland over the two games? He had uh, a very busy sort of two or three minutes in the Russia game, and then sort of faded out of it. I I really liked what I saw from him last last night. Um, just in the sense that when we had the ball out wide, he was making runs to the penalty spot. He still wanted to keep him made a brilliant save from yeah. right at the start. I, well, I just um, want to highlight that it was. If the ball was going to drop in the six-yard box that anyone, everyone wanted, Lauren Shankland, who failed to score from the six-yard box, just, just to raise it as something, as the point that everybody made beforehand, and then the one chance he did, yeah, yeah. fine. I think there was, there, there was I, I get the impression that this wasn't, this, this was entirely instinctive. There was a point where there was a ball put in from the right, and the, the I can't remember if it was the goalkeeper or the defender cleared it in front of him, but he still went for the header. <laughs> and I don't think that was like for effect. I think that was entirely I know where the ball's going to be, and the, and it's not yeah. arrived on my it's head. So thing, yeah, yeah. But I, I don't think he did himself any any harm. I don't think we learned anything about him that we didn't know already. Like I think he was like he was a very he was a very competent like I think sort of eight out of ten last night in a game that. We had a lot of chances and against very inferior opponents. I don't think he did himself any harm, and you know he's going to go back to his club and be even more confident. I think. I think what I'm interested to hear Clark speak about him more than mm. anything else because beforehand, I think we said beforehand when we talked about it before was a case of can he raise his level within mm. the Scotland squad because he is playing at a level below where he probably should be, yeah, and that he's playing the championship as a guy who wanted to make his money, which again, I don't fault that at all. Um, Stephen Robinson was very clear on the on the Sports Round podcast as well, that he want, he looked at Shanklin, everybody looked at Shanklin, but Dundee United were willing to pay the most money, so he went there. I don't, for a guy who, at the position of his career, and the career that he has had, I think he probably understands that football, more, it was very, very close to not being a career for yeah. him. Yeah. So take your money at this point. If at some point you get injured, you drop out, you get your money. Yeah. 
can he and did he raise his level with, when he when he arrived within the squad is what I'm really interested yeah. in I'd really like to hear Clark's thoughts on that at some point whether he turned up at training it was a case of oh, you belong here or he's a work in progress or whatever it is but either way the next time there's a Scotland get together he now knows what that is mm. so can he get there um, for, for me as well like in the second half particularly he was dropping deep and linking up quite a lot something and again the quality of the opposition is different but it's something that other strikers have really failed to do Burke doesn't do it because he's not capable he's not a footballer McBurney is always trying to play balls in behind for runners who may or may not be there um, McBurney just was infuriated me just flicking it around the corner all the time when he played I think I think I think there is a player there with McBurney who will come on to be a, a good number nine for us, but he's not quite worked it out yet. So Shanklin did seem to have that intelligence of dropping deep, getting in space. And we say it's only San Marino, but when we played out there, it was, um, I want to say it was Burke that started the game at centre forward. I cannot remember. It could have been anyone. It could have been Callum Patterson. I can't, literally can't remember. Someone started the game at centre forward and... Uh, it could have been Russell, it was, Russell. was not good and then uh, Mark McNulty came on and was even more not good uh, against the exact same bunch of jobbers but didn't look nearly as impressive <laughs> yeah it didn't look nearly as impressive as Shankland did so that's not me saying oh Shankland is now your Scotland striker but it gives Clark a decision to make when we go and play Cyprus essentially his decision now is do we stick with Shankland who did okay in that game or do we go with McBurney, who objectively should be a better player, but has yet to show it. I, I would probably still still chuck McBurney back in because I think you Long, need to get yeah, maybe on, everyone yeah. else playing well round about him will will bring him up. But I think rating rating off Shanklin because he's playing the championship now. There's lots of players that were playing in the championship two or three years later are playing at a very high level, and it's not even just a very high level in Scotland. There's a difference between playing in the Championship for Dundee United and playing in the Championship for Alloa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's showing what he can do against everyone he plays against, and that's all he can do. As we, as Tom said earlier, it's, if we recognise that we, we're, we're fine with Clark, we're fine with the players, and there's something else there, then, as you say, playing for a team which is challenging and under pressure to win this year, they have to go up. Yeah, yeah. Is that a better environment for a player or a striker playing under that pressure than it is for a player playing mid-table in the Premiership, for example, who's under more pressure, who's under more pressure to deliver. And if you're looking at mentality being a big thing within the Scotland team just now, which I think it's fair to recognise that yes, it is, um, then having a guy like that in there who's under pressure and is performing under that pressure and is thriving under that pressure might be an element of that in there as well. I think just very briefly on that as well, I think arguably he is the only number nine, like traditional classic poacher that there is there as an option. I mean, I think in the build-up there was talk about uh, possibly Ryan Christie playing as a false nine, which uh, Michael Stewart said that, and it does, that's not a terrible idea to me for some of the games that we might want to try and control possession a little bit more and just get as many of our best players on the field. But the other options up front, are there because they're physically strong, or if you know if Lee Griffiths was fit, he's he's more of an all rounder um, that can do an awful lot more with the ball and a, a better all round footballer. But just as feed him service and he will likely score, is Lawrence Shankland the best footballer we've got? No, but he's probably the only option as an out and out striker. 
Interesting. Very interesting. Um, where else? John McLaughlin, um, has he kind of thrust himself into contention to be the next number one with that, that array of sparkling saves that he made yesterday? <laughs> I really enjoyed him taking on the Santa Maria's centre forward in the box. Doing when, him for pace as well. Do, number one, doing him for pace on what was basically a puddle by that point. It was just one giant puddle and you could just see it happen like, I'm not sure this. I was just like, I, this feels on a weekend that, as you say, had a bunch of daft things happening. <laughs> this feels like something bad could happen here, like completely out of everybody's control. Like McLaughlin slips in the puddle, the ball goes somewhere, the striker falls into it. I have no idea what's going to happen here. But again, fine. But what I, I was, I was, I have to say, slightly puzzled by that, in the sense that what on earth did we learn? Why, why was John McLaughlin playing that game? I kind of felt similar with uh, Johnny Russell coming on as well in that Russell comes on, fine, okay, but you know exactly what Johnny Russell is. It felt, both him and McLaughlin's involvement felt a bit like, well, you've come. Because yeah. so, if you're wanting to pick a goalkeeper, why not pick McGillivray, who's younger and therefore potentially is the next number one of Scotland. John McLaughlin, almost certainly never going to be Scotland number one. He's three or four years younger than Marshall but he's three or four echelons below Marshall in terms of the goalkeeper he is so barring because as I said before if if um, Marshall was injured for the big playoff game I wouldn't be going to John McLaughlin I would be going straight to Craig Gordon yeah. to be your goalkeeper because he's got that experience mm-hmm. even if he's not playing for Celtic because yeah. he's he's been there he's done yeah. it he's played big games John McLaughlin He's basically never played a big game in his career apart from when he um, chucked a corner into the net at Fort Park in the Scottish <laughs> Cup quarter final. So, great days. Um, Truly great days. Thank, but, you. Thank you, Ross Callahan. Um, so what what are we achieving there? I, I, there was a couple of things. that That's the kind of things that, that worry me still. That um, Lewis Morgan thing, what the hell was that all about? If, if Snodgrass is pulled out, we'll find whatever. Why do you need to bring someone in to play San Marino at home? You've already got four wingers in your squad. What? Why did Lewis Morgan? Why were we bothering to get him to drag his ass down to Hampton? Oh, I like the idea that he just turned up. Yeah. He's like, all right, guys, you you back tonight? I've got my boots. I've got my boots in my bag. Do you mind if it, you short numbers? Oh, I'll leave the sides up. Yeah. Um, it just it's just strange because I can understand that if it was any sort of important yeah, important yeah. game or whatever, well, you, might, de- you might desperately need yeah, a holiday. Don't yeah. don't not give yourself the best chance, but. It was apparent we were never going to need Lewis Morgan, so it's just all a bit cute. And literally, I mean, okay, the SFA announcement might not have been exactly when it happened, but literally the only player, if you think that they maybe have to be training and, and ready like two hours before the game, literally you'd have had to live in Glasgow or Edinburgh in between to be, to be able to get to Hamden in time. Sleeping like when Craig Samson got called up because he was on the way to the airport, yeah, he like he was on the, 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 bus, <laughs> the bus just swung around and picked him up. Um, so it, it just... That sort of thing worries me because it's like, where's the where's the thought process yeah. right there? Mm-hmm. The one thing with Clark at Coman it was he was meticulous in everything he did, right from like I think right from organising like um, training camps and how the staff were going to act at training camps and what the players were going and what they were doing. So to be coming back to that kind of thing, it's just it's just curious to me. I've seen it suggested that maybe there was like some sort of public point being made about Snodgrass and whether. Potentially, but if that's the case, you know, Snodgrass did say, and I don't think this is what happened necessarily, but he stormed out in a huff or something. Just say Robert Snodgrass out. Oh, yeah. You know, he say Lewis Morgan in. Why the fuck's Lewis Morgan got in to do with this? Just 
Maybe he needed a run about because he's not played a game for Celtic in three months or whatever. But finally, in terms of players as well, um, I thought it was interesting that the the most notable thing of the evening probably was Joe Armstrong as well coming on and absolutely thump, thumping in a, a beautiful free kick as well. Which, again, whether he's getting games for Southampton or not, every time him and Christie linked up at all. I feel, it's just two good footballers. Yeah, yeah. Like these guys are both very good at what they do. Are they better as a pair than anyone else in that midfield? Probably. Yeah. For me, like I just, I, it seemed like a very, it seemed like a very nice way to round off his evening yeah. of turning on, coming on in the chucking down rain and doing something very notable. Yeah. Armstrong not being in the initial squad was very strange to me as well, just because I think I should, I should, he's just, he's just a good player. You just pick him. Um, I guess the other notable thing would be uh, Scott McTominay getting uh, another yellow card. Scott McTominay started four games and had four <laughs> yellow cards. Two of them against San Marino. Um, so that is commitment. Come back from a suspension and immediately get yeah. yourself another one. Um, Just, I, I couldn't decide on his performance because... His, his particularly was very odd. When, and as a holding player against San, San Marino, it's not like he had a huge amount to do. But him going on rampages yeah. with taking boys taking three on. Three players out of one turn. It was unbelievable. Um, on uh, Begins Hattrick, where are we ranking it in the in the 2015 to current day matrix of uh, Scotland Hattricks? As SPL stats rightly pointed out, uh, Scotland's men didn't score a single Hattrick between May 1969 and March 2015. And since then we've had five. So it's two from Stephen Fletcher, one from Robert Snodgrass, one from James Forrest and one from John McGinn. So I think we can say quite comfortably James Forrest is the best of the yeah, five. He's the only one yeah. that mattered and was the best anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, For me, McGinn's come second in that list as well because while it wasn't great, Snodgrass's and, and Fletcher's were too Snod, Snodgrass's in particular was terrible. I just remember the final one um, was against Malta away. The final one was someone who looked suspiciously offside going through one on one with the keeper. I can't remember who it was, maybe Sure Armstrong, not scoring, the ball like bouncing off the post and then it comes back to Snodgrass and he's about three yards out and he's got a tap in and he still takes it to the side of the keeper anyway. And it was like one of, it just it just made no sense and I'm sure the previous goals were equally bad. Uh, Fletcher's I can't actually remember either of them against Gibraltar, except that they were against Gibraltar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We talk about San Marino being the worst side. Have they ever? Have they actually played Gibraltar? Is that? Yeah, I don't think so. But at some point they will play them in the Nations Nations League because that would be interesting. Yeah. Uh, On that as well, with this game and as you say with confidence, we now after the Russia game, which was undeniably not great, Scotland find themselves in a weird scenario where we have three very winnable games before we get to a playoff against one of. Finland, Norway, Serbia, something along those lines. It won't be Serbia. Oh, sorry, the first game. Yeah, sorry. Um, so something along those lines. So you get three very winnable games against San Marino, Cyprus and Kazakhstan, which kind of build up as yeah. well. Cyprus away, probably less pressure because you're away from home, sort of oddly. But a team that we, again, should be beating. And then we play Kazakhstan at home in the final game of the group, which, again, we should... Be, it would be a weird bookend to the group to, the group to lose it to win the playoffs yeah. there. So, can we go out and gub these? We've gub San Marino. Can we gub the next two teams and then go into the playoff with a bit of confidence? That's what we want, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure we'll, I'm not sure we'll thump Cyprus, but I think we probably will be a lot more on the ball against Kazakhstan. And 
history will at the time the, the you know the, the performances in the games against um, Belgium and, and Russia um, haven't been great, and the, obviously the performance against Kazakhstan was like probably the worst Scotland performance in history. Yep. But looking back on it, we'll probably. I would guess win both those games and probably finish third, which is where we probably, probably should, should have been. Yeah, this um, always seem to finish. So it'll be kind of although some of the results will be will be and the performances and you know looking at, at the details will not be great. The ultimately we'll probably end up roughly where we where we yeah. well exactly where we should be. Um, don't see any reason though why we can't go into um, these with a bit of confidence. It is slightly ominous the form of everybody, no, of everybody else. else. Like Norway are now looking like a pretty damn good side. Though you know they're they're looking as good as they have in, in twenty years, um, in particular. But if you were to say that, that that's your option for a, a shot at, at, at qualification, you know, it's it's as easy it's much easier than the normal routes that we'd have yeah. to attempt to qualify. It's not easy, but no. you would much rather be playing, for example, Norway and even Serbia, who are a very good team. You'd rather play yeah. that than what we've had to do to qualify in the past. And the thing that always sticks with me is the 2008 campaign. Walter Smith always said um, immediately going out in the first game and smashing the Pharaoh 6-0 at Celtic Park just set the campaign yep. on the right path. Um, and just... Getting that win, and then we, I think the next game we went to Lithuania and won 2 1, yeah. um, which was attritional, uh, attritional but we won. Yeah, yeah um, and it just set us kind of on okay, we can go and do stuff in this group. So, getting, just getting three wins in a row, it doesn't matter who you're playing, if you've got three wins in a row going into a playoff, you're flying at that point. Yeah. And the fact it's at Hamden, whoever we're playing at Hamden, you'll always say Scotland have a chance. Going away from home against some teams are like now nah, it's just not going to happen. Hamden, the crowd is, is probably probably going to be full. I would guess. I'd say for a playoff I game. I think it's a yeah. Wednesday yeah. night um, as well. I think um, Wednesday or Thursday night. I can't remember which, but there'll be a big crowd there, and the atmosphere, regardless of even if we lose these next three two games, it's the crowd will still be behind them for that game. Um, barring maybe they're literally getting beat like ten in a off Kazakhstan or something. <laughs> Um, <coughs> so it's it's big, I think, um, and I suspect I suspect if we get both games at home, which is just a luckily draw, then we we'll qualify. Yeah. And if we get one, literally the game, we, Yeah, if we get the if we get the second game away, unless it's scan if it's Scandinavia, we'll have a chance. If it's somewhere like Serbia, fuck fuck no chance. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think international football is even more. Fit. I mean, look at look at England having some soul searching if they're losing the first qualifier that they're in a group they're going to win for. You know, by a canter, a canter. International football is incredibly fickle, and if we win the next two, then it will the top will be three wins in a row, yeah, yeah. and everything that's gone previously will kind of be forgotten. And I've no doubt that in a in what will be seen as a one-off game at Hamden, it will be full, and there'll be all confidence will be high, and it'll all be about potential qualification rather than what's gone before it. Excellent. So that's. Um, that kind of nicely takes us on uh, to the first of our series. Um, thank you to everyone that co- uh, uh, submitted their thoughts to the most memorable Scotland games survey, which uh, Craig Anderson very thankful, very helpfully put together for us, and we we've been sharing over the past couple of weeks. 
Um, given that it's an international break and given that we're very Scotland heavy today, we will be doing the first on the list. So number 50... This is the men's team, remember? Is sorry, it's the 50 most memorable men's... Scotland men's national Chris team. Graham games. and I cannot talk about that Argentina game still. No, it's no. still uh, PTSD <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm still not quite the same man I was before it. Uh, mainly because the, the man that was before it was Tannen Aperol, but that's a different story. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so we'll take us to number 50 on our list, which is actually the last time Scotland scored a goal in a, in a major tournament, which was Scotland 1, Norway 1, on the 16th of June 1998. Uh, as we took on the Norwegians in Bordeaux in the second game of our World Cup 98. Uh, you know, I've written notes down and literally did not note down where it was. Uh, <laughs> that, that was uh, been a nice one. So I've got um, the charts from which are, which are very interesting. I had a wee look at those. So can you guess what number one would be 1998? It's, it's relevant to football in the World Cup. as our, The three lines. Yes, three lines, ninety-eight. Bedell Skinner and the likenesses. For me, actually, better than the original. Um, so I, I, I don't Same know. Song. No, no, they changed the lyrics. Um, it was "We Still Believe," oh. and then um, like Leonard Cohen, he used to just tweak the lyrics over the years to find a definitive version. It took him like fifteen years to write "Hallelujah." Then one night in Rome, we were strong. We had grown. And that that relates to the nil nil draw in Italy that qualified them. So um it was I, I preferred uh three lines ninety eight and that was number one. Number two, Vindaloo. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Fat Lays. Fat yeah. I was gonna say, can you name the artist? Graham's done it for us. Um then number three, a song I have literally no recollection of is uh, Got the Feeling by Five. Oh yeah. It's I probably in the Megamix. Yeah. If it's not in the Megamix, I've no idea. Then we've got another French-inspired but nothing to do with football song, which was uh, C'est La Vie by Bewitched. Yeah, absolute banger. A banger. Yeah. Loads of denim. And number five, a song you exclusively only ever hear at football now, Carnival de Paris by Barry <laughs> um, And so that, that's very 98. And then I've got three more notable songs from the top 100. Number 16, Don't Come Home Too Soon by Delamitri. Very good. Can we delve yeah. into this? Yeah. As a Scotland song, it's just perfect. It's like the most, <laughs> it just sums up and encapsulates. I know that I'm not the first person to observe yeah. this, but it encapsulates exactly what we think of our national team. It's like, well done, boys, but we know you're shite. You're going to be home. Don't make try, try and, We know you're going to lose. Let's try and lose a wee bit later on. Don't embarrass yourself. Yeah. Um, Number some, somewhat of a counterpoint to the top two of the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. I'll, I'll a telling, a telling a, a, cultural a, a, a insight, an insight into an insight into various national psyches. Um, and then we had uh, number fifty-five in the chart was by the Tartan Army. Was uh, Scotland be good? Which was a redo no, of Johnny, Johnny Be Good, good yeah. um, Chuck, uh, quite come Chuck Norris, um, yeah, but to, Chuck Berry. To hit, to hit number 55 in 1998, you had to sell like 20,000 copies. I, I do remember. That's when the, the charts were something. I do, I do remember day. the actual song. Um, I just remember it. Scotland Be Good. But yeah. I can't remember anything else about that. It came with a um, North Sound FM pull-out poster. Oh. That was the one thing I discovered um of the, it was to celebrate the fans, and finally uh, number ninety nine in the charts was um, "Flower of Scotland" by the Corries. Oh. So you are, that means Oof. people people were actually out physically buying singles of "Flower of Scotland" in that week. Which that means, was definitely like a it must have been like a freebie 
in like the Sunday post or something he handed over a voucher <laughs> for it absolutely nailed yeah. on has to um, so that was some sort of cultural insights but uh, it was actually interesting to look down the charts and how many of the songs were World Cup because there was like England's yeah. songs various on there um, so I was thinking oh this will give you a nice insight into the music of the, the late 90s which was a, a golden age in many ways of of uh, of popular music but indeed we didn't really but um, there we go so more on the game Scotland team was Jim Leighton Tom Boyd Colin Calderwood uh, Colin Hendry Christian Daly Paul Lambert Craig Burley John Collins Kevin Gallagher Gordon Jury and Darren Jackson the Norwegian team had a whole collection of really well known names like Ronnie Johnson Henning Bell Stig Bjornaby Dan Egan very briefly of Rangers uh, Stella Solbach and Vidal Reset obviously of Celtic Egil Ostenstad also very briefly of Rangers and Tori Andre Flo notably briefly Rangers <laughs> as well um, Scotland went a goal down um, to uh, Havard Flo Tori Andre Flo's brother in 46 minutes and then oddly a bit of a reshuffle from Craig Brown who admitted afterwards that uh, when we went behind there was no option we had to gamble and move forward which seems very Craig Brown 1998 <laughs> of having a team of about eight centre-halves yep. um, and changing it by bringing on other defenders <laughs> as uh, McNamara and Weir came on. Weir went to a sort of right-back, wing-back role and played a beautiful ball forward for Craig Burley who had been playing uh, as wing-back and there was a really good article I was reading about it from um, talking about it and it was Burley saying... And the suggestion was that Craig Brown had seen this before the match. Craig, Craig Brown had seen Burley's comments saying he's, he normally plays for Scotland as a wing-back on the right, but it's no secret that I prefer my club position in central midfield. The wing-back job is a tricky one because there is a lot of ground to cover. It's a tough job mentally as well as physically. Even if I'm not in the central midfield this evening, I can still come inside and hopefully have a few shots. After the substitutions, uh, Burley was, was moved inside, which allowed... David Weir, who took the position that Burley just vacated to chip in an incredible ball over the top yeah. to allow Burley in to lift it over I, the goalkeeper. Would, a really nice finish from Burley, but I would have major question marks about uh, Frode Grodas, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, the Norwegian goalkeeper who appeared to be standing about half a yard away from Craig Burley and still managed to get lobbed. See, yeah. <laughs> see on the if you have a look on YouTube for highlights of this game, there's an amazing American commentary oh, version. So good. And the guy's like, and the goalkeeper's committed one of the ten cardinal sins of goalkeeping by <laughs> and you can see like you can see when he's going with it be almost halfway through his analogy he's like I've actually lost the thread of this. Uh, <laughs> there's, uh, there's some amazing pronunciations of Scottish names. Yes, David Wiles are very good. But you can see, he loses track of his own analogy halfway but, through. So like, I mean, if you listen to this podcast, we have all done that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But uh, yeah, and Burley the next day, Burley talks about it very, in very, obviously, very, very positive terms. He was not to know at the time that it would be the last goal that the men's team scored in a, in a, in a major tournament. But he talked about it afterwards and was was hugely, hugely positive about it. Um, and he was quite upset the next day that the he's like, I, I just, I totally lost it. It was the best experience, best moment. If I could bottle it, I'd live that for the rest of my life. He then ran off towards the Scotland fans down in that corner. And the headline the next day was just his face with the headline, Fang's a million, because he's getting great <laughs> Having a great big grin towards the camera as well. I also really enjoyed his comment before the, the Scotland-Brazil game. of They were in the um, Chateau outside Paris, 
and for some reason Tony Blair came around before the, the night before to shake all the hands and he was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> very good. Really um, I have very, very... Uh, sorry, I was just going to say while you're on that, there is a documentary, I can't remember if it's on YouTube before we've ever covered it, I think they maybe have covered it before, of the Scotland team, it's like Craig Brown's World Cup Diary, right. it's fantastic, it's on YouTube, uh, or it was when I watched it, you need to watch it. Okay. Sorry. I, I have very fond memories of this, because um, it was... Uh, so it's the end of my fifth year at high school, and so we were all sixteen and got sent home from school for wearing our Scotland shirts and kilts, and <laughs> like <laughs> hoodlums that we were. And so we went round to one of my friend's house, who lived like two minutes away, and watched the whole game. And it is probably the last time, not just the last time Scotland have scored at a tournament. It's the last time I remember Scotland watching Scotland and thinking we're going to regret missing all these chances. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of it, because normally it's like we don't get any chances or, you know, we, we we get something and we hang on. But, like, I remember, I, I haven't watched this back other than the, the highlights of the goals in that American commentary, which is sensational. But I remember absolutely battering them in the first half. And, like, that was a really, really good Norway side. I think they were second in the world at the time. Um Egil Olsen had like totally revolutionised the way they played and made them really awkward to play against. And they did things like play a target man against the fullback, talking about so they could play thing. long balls. Yeah, I was reading a thing saying mismatches. That Norway were a total pest to play against as well because they blocked passing lanes and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So just they were just a nightmare to actually play uh, it against. Was, it was funny. It's funny because I, I looked into Egil Olsen a little bit because he was um, the Norway manager mm-hmm. at the time. He, he went on to manage Wimbledon less successfully, but at the time he was at Norway. There was actually. Um, to sound like a nerd here, uh, the Inverting the Pyramid book, there's actually a yeah. whole bit about Edgar Wilson and the team in there, and he was called Drillo, and I was like, that is a strange nickname, and from what I could gather, it was he was named that because of his dribbling skills and technical ability during his career, and then the team that he built was in absolutely no way, <laughs> but he was also, um, he also won something like 12 or 13 caps for Norway, but it was believed that he would have won more, but the manager didn't like his scruffy appearance. Excellent, um, he also before the tournament said that Scotland were the weakest side in the group, um, which was connected to finished bottom. And he said yes, but following that game yeah. he, was, he was very disappointed by his performance, we lost the concentration. And we were, in fact, lucky we didn't lose, which I think is pretty mildly fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, there's... We, we should have had a penalty in yeah. the first yeah. half. Yeah. Um, Gordon Jury got hacked down um, on the line. Um, the ref gave, gave the kind of classic shite bag, I'm not sure, decision. Had there been VAR in 1998, we may well have... Um, well, that although we probably would not have got a penalty against Brazil in the first game. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> swings and roundabouts. And also a throwback to when you had you know official teams... The, the the refereeing officials were made up from just and it was like someone from the Czech Republic, someone from South Korea, I think, or Saudi Arabia, someone from Switzerland, and it just you know all piled <laughs> in. So like, yeah, football's universal. Football's universal, exactly. Yeah, Speaking the language of football. Um, on, on that though, as you say, like had say we get that penalty, say we get that goal, say we don't concede. If to me, right, a bit of what if, if Scotland beat Norway, there's no chance we lose to Morocco, none whatsoever. Yeah. We are, we played well against Brazil, we've lost but we've done well. We've beaten Norway, a team which is better yeah, than us. We then go into the Morocco game, full in the knowledge that if we get just about anything out of the game, we go through. We will win that. We win the Morocco game. There's absolutely no chance. 
Norway, obviously, in the last game as well, beat Brazil. Mm-hmm. So let's play that timeline out. So Norway still beat Brazil 2 1, which means we can finish as group winners. So Scotland finishes group winners in a group which has Brazil, Norway, and uh, Morocco in it as well. So we finish as group winners, which means we then go on to play Chile uh, in the last 32. Sixteen. Last sixteen, sorry, the last sixteen. So we then go on to play Chile. Now, Chile were good, right? They had Salas and Zamorano. As a just, front I think they were just fresh off of that game at Wembley, which is um, one of those iconic games because I think Chile turned up at Wembley and basically played England off the park. Um, and so they were a good team. They were a good team, undoubtedly. However, they drew their way through their group. They drew with Italy, drew with Austria, and drew with Cameroon. Bear in mind, in the qualifying campaign, we beat in Austria. And we didn't concede an awful lot of goals. We we conceded, what was it, three goals throughout the entirety of the qualifying campaign, something like that. So we conceded very, very few goals. So even against Salas and Zamorano, we beat them. They pumped off Brazil. We beat them. Then we play Denmark, who have a pair of Loudrops and we get beat. But it's a good, like, it's a good visual of like Brian Loudrop taking Scotland apart because it, 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 rounds, it fills it all round. But... Broadly, what does that mean in terms of we've reached the World Cup quarter-final, we've gone around further than England did, then what happens following that? We then go into the Euro 2000 qualifiers, we're, we're a different story, a different team. We don't lose the 2-0 lead against the Czech Republic? Belgium. Belgium, sorry, yeah. So Belgium, the Czech Republic was the next campaign, wasn't yeah. it? So, yeah. you can extrapolate this as long as you like, but as you say, we have so many chances against mm-hmm. Norway and that game. Should have had a penalty... Should have won the game. We beat them. There's no chance we lose to Morocco in a, in a game where we should have won anyway. Had Burnley not lost. Uh, Burnley actually had a really good quote on it. He's like, if you're only going to play one World Cup, you might as well uh, take on Brazil, score a goal, and then get sent off. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to play one World Cup, do all those things. I'm worried that we're making Craig Burnley sound too human here. He's a prick. Um, <laughs> on, on the Scotland line the one thing that's interesting to note is we do have a lot of attacking players in the team. We have a lot of quality, actually, um, in the middle. Not probably, actually, any more quality than we have now, necessarily, but maybe slightly, because you've got Lambert and Collins there. But bear in mind that we're also missing Gary McAllister due to injury as well. Yeah. Um, and, Bur- and Burley was, was, was wing back, but played central as well. Yep. We had Gordon Jury, who was kind of playing, um, talking of Norway playing uh, big men on the wings. Gordon Jury kind of tended to play off the right a little bit for Scotland. You had Jackson kind of shuttling back and forth. He was in the form of his life at that point. Um, I think he had just helped Celtic stop 10. Is that right? So I think, I think that's right, yeah. 1998. Um, could, be, could be wrong on that. No, I think that's mm-hmm. right. Um Kevin Gallagher up front was playing for um, Blackburn at the point. Um, back four was solid. Colin Hendry was also at Blackburn and maybe just moved to Derby, but it was he was Colin Hendry. Colin Calderwood, good career. Tom Boyd, right. fine. But yeah, so we had a good team there. But the interesting thing was there were attacking players in there. It was still quite a, a dodgy team, nonetheless. But I think it was kind of going against Norway, who were like. Even more on facts. I think Craig Brown was of the same ilk yeah. as Eggles and was also successful in the same way of playing percentage football. Um, and it was actually also what um, Walter Smith did. So, talking of Norway having it, was one of the flowers usually on the wing, hitting big diagonals, targeting fullbacks, getting headers down, all that stuff. It was what we did with Lee McCulloch all the way through that campaign to a lot of success. And so, 
I think there's something to be said for it. Um, I th- also found it interesting as well that you've got guys like Craig Burley who is, as you said, but is also undeniably like a big personality yeah, within yeah. that squad as well, who feels, again, to bring it back to modern day as well, Craig Burley, central midfielder, ends up playing wing-back for Scotland because that's what you need to do. That's what yeah. your role is. Mm. When you come to day of... We've got 400 left backs. Well, Kieran Tierney plays that right back now. That's yeah, that's the yeah, answer. That yeah. and it feels like it feels sort of startling that guys of that nature, guys who were big parts of Scottish football at the time, you play wing back. That's your role. I, I, I think there is a there is also a lesson in the '98 squad because because the '98 squad got to a World Cup and you know were competitive. There is always this temptation to say that they were like all fantastic players. That they were all good players, but the level that a lot of them were playing at, especially around '98, like Blackburn had won a title but finished, either got relegated or yeah, very or nearly relegated. Um, but West Ham, um, Everton, they were all sides that were floating around the bottom, you know, the the the, the bottom of the, the English leagues, and there were players in there that weren't playing at the very very top level, but the unit was really really good. And um, let's let's find the unit. It's a, a, a nice note to, to end on, which makes it relevant to everything. So, thanks very much for listening. Uh, we are off to record the Patreon. We are on a on a continuing Scotland theme podcast. We're going to discuss some of our favourite Scotland kits as well. So you can sign up to that by visiting uh, patreon.com slash tennis podcast. Um, the guys will be back, I think, on Thursday again this week, and the TV show inspired by this podcast will once again be on at ten thirty on BBC Scotland. Followed in the wee hours after that, repeated on BBC One. Um, after so can, some film. After some film. So, yeah, do tune into that again. Uh, we will. Uh, there's some good stuff coming this week, so, yeah, do enjoy that as well. So, thanks very much, Craig. Cheers. Thanks very much, Tom. Thank you. Thanks, Graham. Sports Social Podcast Network.